Um, yeah, we're probably gonna have to talk about uh, everyone getting pissed at us because of the uh, uh, junk. That was my, I dropped the ball on that. I I'll, feel like I'll... we both did, but also, I mean, it's a generally it's kind of a safe assumption that there's gonna be a character that might pop up now that we might remember. Well, and it was the same actor wearing clown right. makeup. Exactly. So you we only saw him for like. Well, I, did you even? I don't even think you saw the preview. I think I'm the one who said I saw the preview, and I, that's who I thought. I think I saw a part. I don't remember actually. So know. you know, I think that it's pretty valid that that's what the <laughs> mistake was. So I'm, I yeah, I have that in my notes to own right up from the beginning. So anyway, cool. <clears throat> all right, let's do this. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this American Horror Story the unofficial podcast of the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> happy, happy Halloween, indeed. It is, of course, our annual American Horror Story Halloween episode this week. Although we didn't really celebrate Devil's, or so, excuse me, we didn't really celebrate Halloween. We were celebrating Devil's Night instead, which is much worse than Halloween, from what <laughs> I understand. It's a weird holiday. <laughs> Holiday, let's put that in quotes. But before we begin, um, we want to thank everybody, of course, for your awesome continued comments and questions throughout the week. I do want to own up immediately to the fact that, yes, I made the mistake and said that it was twisty in next week's episode. It was obviously not twisty. That was John uh, Wayne Gacy. Duh. But uh, I saw John Carroll Lynch. I saw him in clown makeup. I immediately... I didn't even, you know, same actor, in clown makeup. My first assumption was we're getting an old character we really enjoyed back. That was probably me being a little bit too excited um, by that fact. Many of you, many of you called us out <laughs> on it. We appreciate it. We, I was wrong. Apologies. I forgive you, but also I think I helped. I, I agreed with you and said, oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that I, it's like I think that I got you again. psyched up. You know, you I think that I got you somewhere. psyched up and excited about yeah, it. Is what happened exactly. I was like, ah, oh, Twisty's back. But anyway, apologies. But we do appreciate your questions and comments, and you can continue to hit us with those at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail and of course at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. Also, please rate us and review us. We really appreciate that. Even if all you're going to do is go on there and review us and say, that dumbass didn't know it wasn't twisty. That's okay <laughs> with me. We prefer good reviews, but hey, we take constructive, uh, excuse me, constructive criticism as well. So, much appreciated. Uh, without further ado, I do want to ask before we dive into this week's episode, Devil's Night, what are you drinking this evening? I'm, I'm having two drinks tonight. I'm having uh, I'm good kill- man. killing the last of our uh, red wine. Uh, but because before it goes bad, I'm also having a uh, Tyler Moss American Horror Story classic, uh, a little uh, bourbon and cider. That's my jam. <laughs> what do you What do you have? Uh, I'm drinking a Founder's Breakfast out this evening, so I do not have my bourbon and cider this time. You're drinking one for me, so I, I guess that's why you have your drinks. I'll have to put two shots in there. <laughs> yeah, don't pour one out for me. Drink <laughs> one for me. Pour it in anyway. Your mouth. So before we begin, I want to remark on a few quick things. Yes. The first one is um, a theory for next season that um, our friend Eric picked up on via email. 
And I thought that this was really insightful and kind of uh, ties together a few things that didn't really make sense for us we discussed in the past few episodes. His theory is that next season is going to take place in the White House, a place that is notoriously haunted. And obviously, it being an election year, it would follow that that might potentially make sense. Um, He points to the out-of-place House of Cards comment when Donovan said, let's stay home and binge House of Cards. I think you and I both commented, like, that seemed kind of weird. Right, we're pulled from this weird reality of, uh, or or, or weird... uh, um, universe that American Horror Story creates with a with a comment like that, We're like Wait, that seems out of place, right? And then in uh, episode three, I think it was when John Lowe is walking around the gossip um, website's offices. All the computers have Barack Obama pulled up on it, which seemed super random. Oh, interesting, good pickup. And this is the really impressive pickup. Apparently, uh, you could also hear the voice of FDR in the halls of the sixth floor as Tristan walks through the first time. What? No, I thought that was a pretty impressive pickup. Who uh, who's, who wrote this to us? Eric. Eric, nice job, dude. So oh nice, nice sleuthing. And I, if it's not, if that's not what next season is, then that's ridiculous because there's dude. clearly some thematic stuff going on here. Right, right. A lot of presidential influence here. That's cool. Ooh, I like so that. I hope that is a theory for next season because I thought that was really insightful. Um, a couple other things I wanted to say. I read in an interview with Ryan Murphy um, a couple interesting things. Mm-hmm. First of all, he said that well, real soon we're going to be learning Liz Taylor's backstory, either mm. next uh, next episode or episode six. Good. So I'm really excited for that because. Um, as we both talked about, she's potentially my favorite character this season. Especially after this most recent episode. I mean, amazing. Second, Evan Peters' accent um, is supposed... I guess that he like worked really hard on this accent. Um, Ryan Murphy gave him old movies of Clark Gable and William Powell and told him to like use those as influences, told him that it's supposed to be an East Coast guy, well-educated. So I guess uh, Evan Peters called him on the phone and like did four different accents that he did the same monologue in four different accents. And this is the one they landed upon. Cool. So it's it's not like some random ass accent. He really has worked hard on this. Which so. felt like a lot of freak show was a lot of weird accents. Right. So it makes me appreciate it a little bit more, especially after we hear him talk so much in this episode of The Dinner Table. I had heard before, uh, as far as freak show goes, that uh, one person joked and call, titled it, you know, the show, like American Horror Story. And you know, it has, has a subtitle. American Horror Story accents. <laughs> I would say that would be an appropriate one for Freak Show. <laughs> um, but this I, accent I am great. a fan of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's do doing like a really it. good job. I like Evan Peters again. Uh, which we, I think we've both been waiting for for some time. Yeah. So let's go ahead and dive into Devil's Night. We open, of course, with Richard Ramirez checking into the show and or into the Hotel Cortez. And this is kind of like our setting the scene for... Obviously, this Devil's Night Soiree, which is a big event that Richard or James March has every year, in which all serial killers from all over seem to come and hang out. Um, we're really heavy on more recent serial killers, though. It's not like he's got, you know, Jack the Ripper coming and showing right. up. Right, right. Um, it's more... I, so when was John Wayne Gacy around? I mean, Richard Ramirez was 80s. Eileen Warnos was... Was she 80s as well, or was she 90s? She was 80s, I think. Um, maybe a little 90s. And John, John Wayne Gacy was uh, 70s. Okay, so we got 70s, 80s, 90s killers a little bit here. Um, now, the guy who played Richard Ramirez, though, we determined hasn't really been in anything else before. I originally, I had thought at first it was Lou Diamond Phillips. You texted um, me, Lou Diamond Phillips. And that's I because like, I had heard that about? he was going to be playing this uh, <laughs> character, the, uh, Richard Ramirez, who was known as the Night Stalker. He was a Satanist who was known for breaking into people's houses. Um, stealing their shit, raping them, beating them to death, all this stuff. Um, he is playing the Night Stalker, but in a different, um, in a different film. So I just got my wires crossed again. So I'm glad I didn't come out and proclaim that right away on this show. Chris corrected me early on. <laughs> that, uh, was our, that was our the, pregame talk. 
Yeah. Um, but this, so the, uh, what was the actor's name here? Uh, Anthony Rui Vivar. Rui, Rui Vivar. He's Hawaiian. And I thought he did a great job. Oh, yeah, he was great. All, all of them I thought were pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, and we'll talk about that more later, obviously. But So Richard Ramirez, at this point, I think, has only been dead a relatively short period of time. Um, well, no, that's not true, because it was 85. I don't remember why. I th- yeah, because I think he was like 85, 86 for his... Seriously? Tyler's internet can you hear me? got kicked off again. Oh, can there you hear is. me now? There, now I can hear you. I just can't see you. I can't see you either, but as long as we can hear yes. each other, we can keep talking. Okay. And we're back. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he was, Richard Ramirez was known for killing people in the kind of LA and San Francisco area. Um, and eventually he was, I think, put to death on death row. Um, but he ends up kind of kicking off the episode by killing random people who are staying in the hotel. Um, I think they say because of the Marriott was full or something like that. Yeah. Again, why regular people are checking into this hotel still, I have no idea, but right. I think they were from Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, why with all these missing people at the hotel, there's not more investigators on hand is beyond me. But I do think that we get a hint that next episode, John Lowe really brings in the troops to search the hotel. Mm-hmm. So at least that's not going to go that long without people wondering where the hell all these people are. Um, so this is kind of when we get a taste of James March and Richard Ramirez checking in and really kicking off the devil's soiree. Now, we have two storylines kind of going on here. We have, of course, John Lowe and the Devil's Foray, and we have the what I'm going to call the Alex storyline. I don't know about you, but I was a much bigger fan of the Lowe-James March storyline. Totally. But uh, that's why I'm going to break down the Alex one first, so we can get to the one we enjoy more second. So, Alex takes Holden home. Yeah, she she takes him. That's the first place she takes him after she finds him at the Hotel Cortez last episode. After she takes he him, hasn't home. aged at all, and he's creepy, and he's supposedly been kidnapped for years. Yeah, let's. She didn't call home. the police. She takes him home. Uh, I mean, to be fair, for a second, she's clearly really fucked up at this point. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I she's not, not in like her right her. mind. Maybe she thinks she's hallucinating. <sighs> She's tripping somehow. I, I her, she's not a very uh, uh, warm character to try to understand. And when and when she's as making these choices that she does in this episode, uh, and she's a doctor and she's ignoring things like not aging for the past couple of years or his temperature is really unhealthily unhealthily low. Well, like seventy four degrees yeah. or something like that. Also, she has like an old old doctor's kit. Like she does house calls, which she does obviously. But it was even the old doctor's. Take him to the hospital. You know, something you got to got to get uh, something's up. Especially when you see him then drinking the blood of the dog. Oh God, <laughs> poor dog. But, no, really let's not go to the that. doctor or the ER. Let's go back to the hotel. Right. So she goes back. I guess to. Well, for, first of all, it's because that's where Holden wants to go back. He calls it his other mommy. So mm-hmm. I guess she's she's following him to see who this other mommy is. Which, of course, we know it's the Countess. Right. Um, she takes him down to the glass coffin. Um, so I guess we get a little affirmation for Scarlet, who her mother kind of trashed last episode for being a liar. Uh, but Alex quickly learns that actually all this stuff really does exist. And the Countess is there with answers. So she says. So she says. Yeah, she's... yeah. <sighs> How do you feel about Gaga, how she's doing? Uh, 
I feel like she is strongest when she is a more of like a prop and that sounds terrible <laughs> yeah. i'm not saying she's not a terrible actress which she's i think not, yeah she's not could terrible. have been the case she's not ruining the show either it's just kind of flat for me yes um i would i would agree with that i mean i think that she's a little the same temperature all the time you know what i mean yes she's and kind maybe, of a one note and maybe that's part of the character is it's like she, you know, we see her emotional when she, um, when Ramona Royale dates Prophet Moses. Right. Uh, exactly. Last episode. I think that's probably the most emotion, but for the most part, she's pretty, she stays pretty neutral. But I, I mean, I, maybe that's just part of her personality is she kind of seems, she is kind of the, the chill person. You know, it seems like everybody's about – we see so many times when someone's about to do something really dramatic or, like, act with a lot of emotion. And she's always, like, in the background being, like, wagging her finger, like, nah. uh she So she's kind of a control freak, which is interesting because that's um, what John Lowe has kind of been so far. Exactly. So it's says. what Alex has called him out on. Right. Hey, can you – on your on your screen, if you go down to the part that says video, mine was crossed off and I just clicked it on and it went on again. Oh. Did yours cross off too? Yeah. Maybe, oh, yep. Maybe it's the software. I don't know. Skype, you kind of suck right now. Well, now we're able to see each other again, which helps. This episode is not brought to you by Skype. No. <laughs> Actually, we should. Maybe they will sponsor us someday. Just kidding. But not this. But time. it can be. <laughs> oh boy. Um. So anyway. So Alex to... is with Gaga, and she's. Basically trying to con- doesn't she, she straight up tries to convince her like you know he's happy because he has eternal life or or whatnot. And don't you want that too? Well, so the countess has like this sixth sense for a few different things. First of all, she one thing that's important to note, and I think someone pointed this out in an email. She has kind of a mind control capability mm. a little bit. You know, she's able to tell somebody like leave, you know go away, leave the room, and maybe that's also kind of how she gets people to calm down. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like a sedative kind of effect. It's like glamouring that uh, um, vampires can do. Right, exactly. Um, and she could sense Alex's, she, she says she could sense Alex's longing for Holden, and that's why Holden was coming to them mm-hmm. um, in the hotel, was that, like, they wanted him so bad. But she she's, like, trying to justify here why she is kidnapping all these kids, and it's because she's saving them from basically neglect. And I think that's being a little... I don't know about you. I'm curious to hear your opinion. I think that's being a little bit hard on John, who literally stepped away to answer his phone for 15 seconds, and Holden doesn't even make it around the carousel once before she takes him off of that thing. Right. Right. She... I I think... I mean, obviously, John isn't that bad of a father, uh, but Alex completely blames him as as they've hammered home to us, uh, and their marriage... Or, and their divorce now was all based off of that incident um, that she just never got over because, as she says, Holden was her true soulmate in a right. in a maternal way. Right. In almost a creepy maternal way. Though. Yeah. Um, but we learn a little bit more about the virus here. The Countess says the virus can't be reversed. There's no cure for this virus, um, which I think kind of sorts it, – it's – Fitting that this all happens to Alex now with what we've been having going on with the measles and things like that. I think that we had thought maybe this was a theme for future seasons, but I think it really is just a theme for this season. Because mm-hmm. we're kind of seeing this theme of disease and virus and, like, 
impure blood, really, when you think about all the drugs and different things, too. Right. Being a really... Tainted. The presence of blood in general. But, yeah. Um, There's no going back from the virus. Alex threatens her with a gun and everything like that, but she isn't up to killing the Countess. Really, what the Countess is going for is she's going to transform Alex into a vampire, which is obviously how this storyline ends up ending. It's almost like a, a classic deal with the devil, Faustian kind of literary illusion we have going on here, which is another, you know, we have all these literary references throughout the season. Here we have um, basically the Countess saying, you know, I'll make you, I'll make it so you can stay with Holden forever if you kind of become my minion. Right. All I do, all I require is undying loyalty. Right. Um, and Alex seems kind of iffy about it. We get a little... Uh, Tristan smacks her up a little bit. Yeah. But she ends up coming... Like, the Countess calls it, and she ends up coming back, and this episode ends with Alex getting infest- infected. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's it's very sexual. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. Um, the Countess has uh, created quite a... She's creating quite a progeny group here. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say, is it seems like the Countess is turning... I mean, Stephanie and I were talking about this last night. It seems like the Countess is turning people left and right all of a sudden, and the perception (coughs) we get in the past is that she was somewhat more discriminate in her selections. Do you get that feeling, too? Yeah, because she got really pissed when she saw that um, Ramona was trying to create someone. Um, And it seems to me that when she was done with one of her creations... Or she found another one she wanted, she would, you know, cast the one aside. She wouldn't keep them all in the hotel. And right now well, she's like creating with Donovan, few. yeah. Right, like with Donovan. And yeah, and Ramona and But Tristan's only been here for like a couple of days and she's already making someone else. But and why was she just a vampire? I mean Yeah, why you know what is the reason to give is it to make, to protect the hotel and protect the countess from Alex not going to the police and saying you have my son or like what is it that was my thought is that it was her solution for you know the place not being overrun by police but you think if that was the case they would be a little bit more careful with how they're handling handling Lowe who yeah clearly <laughs> has access to the police I've been seeing so much more stuff too about people thinking Lowe might be dead or or whatever which I called mm-hmm. you did you did um and I'm still going to – I think that that theory only I feel more and more so after this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, I guess to kind of wrap up the storyline yeah. – I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's totally okay because I think it does fit in. Um, I, I was the one who brought up Low, But I think that – I kind of think this is hopefully a turning point to make Alex's character more interesting. Well, not more interesting but more likable. Because yeah. clearly she's just kind of been the depressed – um, antagonist, always in a bad mood. I mean, like you yeah. feel bad for her, but you're you're not like rooting for her. Yeah, I have either. no empathy for you. Exactly. And so, I feel like maybe this is a turning point a little bit for that storyline. And I'm really curious to see what ends up happening now. Because is is she gonna sleep in a coffin down there with Holden? I mean, is she gonna start like joining all the orgies? I think she's gonna be more like like slave-ish like she's like, gonna be kind of like I, I mean which is kind of what iris was even though she wasn't a vampire i think right. she's gonna have the same kind of thing and 
I wouldn't be surprised if we learned Liz Taylor's in a similar situation, mm-hmm. kind of like undead servitude kind of situation. Right. God, Liz Taylor's amazing. Liz Taylor is amazing. Were you surprised that Alex came back to kill herself? And I mean, uh, I was surprised that she, that I wasn't surprised she came back, but I was surprised that she turned or she yeah. wanted to be turned. But she seems that depressed, obviously, and that uh, and, and and that in such a mindset that this is really the best option that she has to live with her uh, her son who's been missing for uh, like I don't know a couple years. Even though uh-huh. her son is clearly not the same person. Yeah, and still has that nasty-ass long hair. Yeah. Like, Gaga's hair is perfect, but she can't trim the kid's hair. Yeah, come on. Just a little bit groom. Is his hair still growing, even though he's undead? It seems like it, because his hair looks even longer and grosser yeah. than it did Yeah, that's years a good ago. point. Hair can grow, but, you know, your, the rest of your body doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now I want to talk about the, uh, I don't know if fun's the right word, but <laughs> what I, the more intriguing storyline. Mm-hmm. Definitely the more compelling one for this, uh, episode. All right. Uh, th- I feel like there's a lot, well, I feel like there's a lot of kind of, um, mystery to talk about here. Now, my notes have been a little screwed up here, back and forth. So I, now I have it the first time we see Low. He is back in his bedroom, if I am correct here, and he has an interaction with um, uh, Miss Evers. Oh, yes, that's right. We get a little bit of her background. Right. Um, and it seems like, it, well, it doesn't seem like him and Miss Evers have a little bit of something in common. Uh Oh, okay. So actually, this is how this episode opens. So is um, he gets a call from his daughter, and she's over at the grandparents' house. So it sounds like maybe um, after Alex, you know, found Holden last episode, they arranged some kind of thing for Scarlet to kind of be out of the way for a little while here. And so um, our dogs look like they could be siblings or cousins. They do. Our dogs are here joining the conversation. I think they're American Horror Story fans too. They're undead dogs. <laughs> oh. Um. Uh, so yeah, Logue kind of gets alerted to something weird going on when blood starts dripping from the ceiling. This was a little bit Poltergeist to me. Totally, Poltergeist slash uh, the Overlook. Yeah. Yo, yeah, totally. Um, continued shining references here, and um, he, you know, he goes up and and basically confronts Miss Evers about it, who's trying to scrub a stain that keeps, is not disappearing. Right, it keeps reappearing. It's like that and we fi- disappearing ink. And we find out that her son was kidnapped, like Holden, um, years and years ago. Now, a little backstory on this. Have you seen the movie Changeling? I have not. Who's in that? Is that Angelina, Angelina Jolie? It was maybe a movie from, That's I want right. to say, like early to mid-2000s. That's one of Angelina those Netflix jo- ones that always pops up. I'm like, eh, maybe. First of all, I want to say it is a great movie, and I recommend everyone go see it. The premise of the movie is that uh, Angelina Jolie's child is kidnapped, and then they find her child, but it's not the child they find is not her actual son. It's like a it's kind of a long time after he she loses him, like a year later. Oh wow! And everyone is like, "Oh, we have your kid back," and she's like, "This is not my kid. You just gave me some random kid." <laughs> and uh, if you want to go watch that movie, then don't listen to what I'm going to say next. But the basically what ends up happening is her her child is abducted alert. by this real serial killer, who is um, 
Gordon Northcott, I think it is, Gordon Stewart Northcott, who is the guy who did these chicken coop murders, um, which is the same person Miss Evers' son is adopted by. And so it isn't her real son. Her son died at this chicken coop Ooh. camp or whatever. But it's. I think I thought it was an interesting illusion because we just saw that movie maybe a year ago, and I thought what a good it's, – it's, I'd still go watch it. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But it, this is a real serial, serial killer who did these these killings, and they were in the 1920s. And so it did happen a very long time ago. But uh, interesting that they connect Miss Evers and Lowe in this way, both losing their kids. Right, to, um, in a way, serial killers. <laughs> right. A couple things here. Miss Evers' accent is fantastic. I love her. She's great. Mary Winningham is doing awesome. I love it. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to say is that we see again her pushing him to have a drink, which is a continued thing until he finally has a drink. And... Uh, it just seems so Jack Torrance kind of everyone pushing him to have a drink until he starts drinking and something a monster is born in him kind of thing. Yeah, right. That uh, it's it's at this point it, he's been offered drinks so many times and turned them down that it seems conspicuous. Yeah, you know what I mean, they're really pushing on him for a reason because they want him to. I'm assuming as he is starting to loosen up, uh, maybe accept some things like maybe that he's already dead. Right. Um, I do think the only the only thing I, comment I want to make on Miss Evers is uh, uh, the only bad comment or crit- critical comment I would want to make is it is a little odd to me that she lost uh, her son to who was kidnapped by a serial killer and then becomes obsessed with another serial killer and like serves him forever. Right, and I think that maybe there's an extra step in there we're not seeing. Ooh. Uh, my, assum- my assumption is that. James March did something for her mm-hmm. right. that was, I mean, maybe he killed Northcott or something like that, right. you know? Right. I feel, you get the feeling that he did something for her that he was, that she feels indebted toward him. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's the way she acts around him. Def, you know, I want to also point out another line she had that I read into deep, well, maybe more deeply than I should have. She said, I've known for a while we were kindred spirits. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that too. And so this made me think like, how long is a while, you know, mm-hmm. has he only been here for, the, a few weeks, like right. we think, or has he been here for a very long time? I mean, when you look at the way he's dressed and his appearance a little bit, he's kind of like a 50s kind of style look to him, right? Mm-hmm. The way he kind of does his hair and his suit and everything like that, he's kind of got more of like a Mad Men vibe to him than he does like a modern day detective. Right. Kind of continuing to push forth this idea that maybe, I mean... Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that the next. theory or parts of that that don't hold up yet to me are when he does his investigation of the Ten Commandments killer. You know, he's out in the world and he seems to be interacting with another his his partner, right? Which is more than like James March can do or something like that. So there's yeah, yeah it is a little strange that he's out interacting with the world already. Um, but he is kind of a little strict. I mean, he's kind of starting to get a feel. Obviously, well. Obviously, this episode for things being out of place at the Cortez when he, you know, finds the picture of Miss Evers at the chicken coop murders in the 1920s and is kind of boggled by the fact that this happened so long ago. Uh, I mean, and we kind of got this vibe a little bit last episode. He thinks he's going crazy um, and certainly only thinks that even more after how this episode ends. For him. Right, right. But kind of after that experience, we see him returning to the bar again and finally going for a drink. What do you think kind of put him over the edge here? Is he finally decided he's going to drink again? I was going to say, is this the part? I, I can't remember exactly when he said this, but he said, uh, you know, 
I've always been able to drink, uh, or I thought it was a drinking problem, but my wife says it's just a control problem. So, you know, he, because uh, Liz Taylor pours him, or she, <laughs> so awesome, he says like ginger ale, or is that feels what she says? Mm-hmm. Ginger ale. <laughs> and uh, pours him a ginger ale. And then he's, uh, and then he, but he orders a drink. Um, mm-hmm. I think Double he's, martini. Yeah, I think he's accepting uh, uh, his divorce. And this is a way of doing it, being like, well, I was trying to be sober and, and good for my family and my relationship. But now that that's, uh, you know, in the garbage uh, and my wife has criticized me and pointed out that it's always been a control issue, not maybe an alcohol issue. He's like, F it. Right. And it almost seems, I would say twofold. It seems like it's a little bit of a spite thing. He's like, well, you said I never had a drinking problem. So. Fuck you. I'm going to go ahead I and want have a drink. I want to drink, goddammit. <laughs> and the other part of it is almost like, you know, he, while being such a control freak, quote unquote, he's having all these like visions and hallucinations. Maybe he's thinking like, maybe he's too, has too much tunnel vision on like, you know, this serial killer right. and, and needs something to maybe relax a little bit or something along those lines. He's too tense. Right, and so he goes for the drink, and I think that Liz Taylor had a great line here, which is just, control is an illusion, um, which we can read into it in terms of surface value, or we can read into it deeper, which I'm going to go ahead and read deeper, <laughs> um, because it continues to fit with our theory that, you know, maybe this whole vision of himself having control is all an illusion, and there's a whole other side of him that we haven't actually seen yet. I agree, yeah. When we see this whole... Uh, facade, uh, visade of um, control disappear or or crumble. It'll be really interesting to see who he embraces uh, himself as with his personality and his desires. Because he keeps, like you said, he gets off of the drinks. He also keeps getting pushed sexually uh, by some of the by uh, uh, hypodermic Sally um, and Eileen Warnos. So it, once he lets loose, like we'll see what happens. One thing I want to say is this episode has had so many cases of blue balls. I was thinking of last episode where, like, both Tristan and the Countess, like, come on to Will Drake. And then, like, at the and last second, they're like, nope. Sorry. And then the same thing with uh, John Lowe here when he's, like, in the elevator with Sally. And then, oh, she's gone. Yeah. And then here with Eileen Warnos, too. Yep. Ugh. Speaking of which, here we go. Lily Rabe, Eileen Warnos, give I'm, me your take. I think she did an amazing job. She was great. Um, again, I can only compare it to Monster with Charlize Theron, which was honestly one of the best performances uh, acting wise I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. But she, she, I think Lily Rabe did a great job, and she gets some poetic uh, um, words in there too, talking about um, some kind of feminist things. I liked it. I thought she did a really good job. What do you think? No, I've I've never. I thought she, I mean, from what I've seen, I thought she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And she's she's one of those actresses where I feel like when she gets really into a part, you can't you can't tell it's her necessarily. Like right. I feel like if you didn't really know Lily Rabe that, if you didn't know her name, for instance, and you saw her in this and you'd seen her in a past season, you might not make the connection that it was the same person. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I do want to hear because I haven't seen Monster. Mm-hmm. I mean, did she do? Did she handle the role the same way? I mean. What were the similarities and differences between how Charlize Theron handled it, handled it and how Billy Rabe took it off? That's a good way to try to compare. Uh, <laughs> um, they both handle – like, they both look very similar. They've got the look down. Uh, Eileen Wuornos kind of had this masculine swagger about herself, um, like kind of like a 
you know, uh, I think she's from Florida, so I don't want to. I know she's not from Florida. She's from Michigan. But she did all her murders in Florida. In Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has this kind of uh, southern man, uh, backwoods country hick uh, swagger. And, and Charlize nailed the masculinity of that of that role. Um, Lily adds a little more uh, femininity to it, which sounds weird because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Eileen Warnos is pretty butch. Um, not that that's a bad thing, uh, but she adds like when they're dancing and stuff like that. She has these mannerisms that made me kind of really think or challenge myself the way I think about Eileen Warnos a little bit more than I did when I was watching um, Charlize Theron's character. Yeah, her her interpretation of it, which was straight up like gangsta, um, with with a little bit of um, uh. Um, introspection on uh, when when Eileen Warnos would have introspection on her relationship with her lesbian lover who put, was played by Christina Ricci, <laughs> um, but 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 Lily Rabe I think was amazing and I was very skeptical like well, I wouldn't take that role on if that's the role that uh, someone won an Oscar for that's well known for but I thought she was great. I agree. Good on her for like that's a. I think she's my age on. too, which is crazy. Lily Raid. Lily Raid, yeah. Or right around I, age. There's a couple things I want to say about this scene that I picked that I particularly noticed and made note of. Um, the first being that we have a line from Liz Taylor here that says John that John Lowe is a special guest of the hotel. Right. And the way the way she said that made it made it almost I felt like she was insinuating that special guest was uh, there was more meaning there than just like someone who happens to be staying at the hotel. You I thought the I mean? same thing. Like, like, and as some of our theories have uh, lent to, um, he might be dead there. He might, they might be courting him to become a full-time resident there as a member of the dead group, <laughs> as a ghost, as a vampire, who knows? But yeah, there's a lot more attention to him. That's there's a lot more attention paid to him than there are any of these other rando characters that have been showed up to the um and um showed up to the hotel and it, I don't think it's just because he's a police officer, right? And then I mean um he has purpose there. He he pretty quickly gets trashed, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Um and you know we see them go back obviously to his hotel room and Eileen Warnos knows what she was doing the whole time and it's pretty quick that she pins him up and stuff but. He, you get the impression from him. I think that he says this to Liz Taylor. She's like, "You're too drunk to see how ugly that woman is," and he said, "I'm too drunk to care." <laughs> yeah, I love, I love all of that was great. You, you really get the feeling that this is supposed to represent him, like uh, breaking free. Well, and, and I mean, I think we're loose. really supposed to see him letting, yeah, like releasing control, <laughs> releasing control, exactly. Um, and of course, that immediately backfires when she handcuffs him to a chair and threatens him with. A gun. It's crazy that you know this is the same woman who played uh, Sister Mary uh, Eunice. Eunice, Sister Mary Eunice, and also the same woman who played uh, Misty Misty Day, and then though I forgot her name, her character's name in the Murder House, but when the, the you know the the wife, the of, wife of the doctor, right? And she's so talented. She she's great, yeah. Um, and I think this whole sequence with them and like this is really kind of. He has a number of scenes in this episode where he's like mystified. He like continues to be mystified about the fact that like things are going on weird in this hotel. Um, you get the feeling that he still thinks that he's not quite right in his mind, and that's where it's all coming from. You know, he checks her ID, and it's really her, and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, he runs back to the lobby, 
and kind of confronts Liz Taylor about it, um, who tells him he's on the... Well, because he tries to steal the guest list to see who's all in town. In the meantime, passes the Zodiac <laughs> Killer in the hall, by the way. I loved that. That was awesome. As someone who's originally from Northern California, I knew exactly who that was going to be. And, of course, uh, Eileen is gone, but there's a tux on his bed that Liz Taylor's arranged for him. Of course, he's the only one wearing a tux to that fancy dinner. So Liz <laughs> Taylor made sure that he was dressed up nice. Which also kind of fits the kind of... Ac- I'm going to use the word um, anachronistic. Like, uh, nice. he doesn't belong in the time period that he is currently in. Right. Which you get that same feeling when he's wearing... I mean, well, him and James March are kind of in the same realm. You know, James March is wearing an ascot and is all dressed up fine where like, everyone else is wearing kind of their normal garb. Right. Um, but he, yeah, Lowe is invited to the soiree. Why? Why do you think he's invited? Why is he so special? He's So there's two potential ways this could go in my head. Okay. He's either already a serial he's, he's a serial killer and he doesn't realize that he's been a serial killer the whole time. Like the Ten Commandments killer who we've kind of speculated that he's more closely tied to than just investigating it. Or like Jack Torrance in The Shining who has been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Or... Uh, he is maybe being groomed to be a serial killer. Like, they're making him go crazy, and he's going to go kill a bunch of people. Right. That's the only other option I could think of. Because as we sit through this dinner, we realize that all these crazy killers had at one point made a stop by the hotel, and James March basically mentored them to be killers. Exactly. So So he found this vulnerability and exploited it. So this is going to be also what he's doing now with John. It's, uh, it's like an intervention to become a serial killer. You're too good of a person. <laughs> We're intervening. And I think that he is able to sense this, like, vulnerability, this ability to kill people and hit people. And so those are, those are my two theories about why he's invited. I mean, do you have anything else I would be thinking of? No. I mean, I, I was curious why he would go there. And also, this hotel, I mean, I, I know you have to suspend disbelief, especially when it comes to, or, uh, when it comes to um, American Horror Story. But <laughs> this cast of characters... I was really skeptical of how it was going to go down and why John is involved in this. Uh, but once it started, um, it was kind of charming. I thought this scene was just great. I thought all the the acting in this scene was awesome. I mean, obviously, Eileen is, or Lily Rabe as Eileen Warnos was great. We've talked about how much right. we've liked Evan Peters so far this season. I thought the guy that played Richard Ramirez was awesome. John Carroll Lynch as uh, John Wayne Gacy was fantastic i thought he was like he managed to be both chilling especially when you see him in the clown makeup at the end but also like weirdly endearing when he's talking about he's like, yeah he's like kind of like your like sweet uncle <laughs> who murders you yeah. and puts you in his house and then jeffrey dahmer of course was played by uh seth gable who was from the tv show fringe i didn't watch that show um i did a little bit but i can't remember who he was he looked new to me but I thought that he he did a good job too. Although I do think that John Wayne, like John Carroll Lynch, knocked it out of the park for me. I think that he is such an awesome actor. He's great, amazing. Um, yeah, but they're kind of putting on this whole. It, it almost seems like it's a show for the sake of John Lowe, where they're just being like, you know, we invited you here to see that we've all been mentored by James March before. This is a dinner for killers. Here's all the different times that we all stop by here. And they keep calling him the master. You know, it was, uh, I think Stephanie remarked that it was like very culty. It is. It is. And he, I think I'm trying to remember, they said, or how at some point we talked about he's killed like 300 people or something like that. 
So they they really they really that was Gacy. I think Gacy had three hundred bodies in his yard. No, thirty, thirty. Oh, thirty. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, oh, but three hundred was March then, maybe. I think with three hundred was March, but it was very. It was it, it, they were learning from you know the person who, like you said, mentored them, but also could you know it. I guess that's the definition of mentoring, but uh, uh, instill all his knowledge and help guide them into uh, into becoming these people who will go down in history like the Iliad. Yeah, another literary reference, which was a very strange reference. It was really reference weird, the yeah. Iliad in particular. I mean, the Iliad is an incredibly violent book, um, story, epic poem, but it is, a, I mean, it's a war story. Uh, n- I don't know that anyone is, I mean, everyone wants something in that story. No one's just a serial killer necessarily for the sake of being a serial killer. So it was kind of a random yeah. reference other than the fact that it, it is incredibly gory. Yeah. I mean, they describe deaths in great detail. But um, they incapacitate Lowe, and they kind of make fun of him, really. Well, like, they, they the whole... do it by, they all take some absinthe, mm-hmm. right? But it seems to have, I mean, obviously, he's not undead, at least not that we're aware of. So it seems to affect him much more than anyone else. Yeah. He's kind of swooning. Um. But he kind of keeps trying to play like that. Oh, you guys shouldn't be doing that. I'm a cop thing. And they just kind of all make fun of him really for that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think the most interesting time is when they all kind of sort of let loose. And like they bring out the guy for Dahmer to drill into his brain. That was weird. That was creepy. And uh, I think it's Ramirez and Warnos are off dancing. Yeah, that was so weird too. They're like, this party's so bizarre. I mean, it doesn't seem, I mean, it's fun to them. But <laughs> it's all like a show also put on. That revolves around John Lowe, right? It's like it's like his own personal initiation, introduction, something, right? Kind of theater. It's it just seemed like theater, and then of course Sally catches the businessman on the street, who's kind of the dessert, so to speak. Which is everyone grabs a weapon and stabs him to death, and Lowe's kind of forced to watch it. And I think that March says the sacrifice bonds us together for eternity. What happens when so Lowe tries to shoot? I think he shoots Jeffrey Dahmer. And then he's like, "Like, dude, we're already dead. Haven't you realized that yet?" Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if that's also referencing him. Like, right. That's the universal we everyone here at this party. And then, of course, the way this ends is he starts kind of freaking out, and he starts kind of alternating between the ghost reality and then like the real reality, which is just nobody is actually there, and except Sally, right? Um, who we also know is dead. Right. So his his reality is so morphed. It's hard to you know any scene that involves Lowe, It's hard to tell what's real and what's not. You know what I mean? Agreed. Yeah. Like in, and uh, yeah, uh, that's the frustrating thing about this show. <clears throat> Sometimes I love it, but when there's no like when the ground rules aren't adhered to and they're broken all the time, then I just then I lose a lot of. Um, uh, in not interest, but I, I don't invest myself with characters as much as I should, or situations or scenes, because I know that it might mean nothing uh, in the end. And uh, just like death, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. Death is never a stake in any of these. Um, I guess with the exception of uh, Asylum, where death meant something. If you died, you died. Um, all the other ones, not, e- not even, and then. not even, not even yeah, necessarily then. Exactly, not really even then. 
but with this with this again like people like i don't know people shooting each other and not that a ghost was gonna die but what what would happen if he actually made um jeffrey dahmer like transition over to the dark to death for a ghost or what i don't know what it would be but then that would have some like uh, implications for the relationship between all of the people there and and John Lowe. I just think I don't know. I, I wish there was a little more weight behind this dinner party and things that happened. And I don't think there actually will be. It's just kind of a fun one-off episode where they get to do a little thing and have a di- dinner party with a lot of famous serial killers. Which they have. They take um, uh, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. That they love to do fun stuff like this, and it is fun. But is it important in the bigger picture? I doubt it. Well, and I, I understand why you're saying that because historically that hasn't been the case, especially in the past few seasons. Now, I am holding out for some reason greater hope this season that there is more to it than we realize. And maybe that's because I'm already, you know, we're doing these theories about John Lowe potentially being undead and stuff like that. In which case, I do think this dinner has a lot more significance. And I'm holding out hope that this storyline is more tied together than perhaps we realize. And maybe we're not giving it enough credit. Now, I mean,. I I totally understand where you're coming from because that has been the case so many times in the past. But, you know, you know, um, we have all these theories right now and I do feel like there's greater mystery to this season than there has been in the past. I mean, there's, there's been, there's been things in past seasons where we're like, Oh, you know, who's bloody face. What's the motivation? But yeah, who is, why is twisty motivated to do this? Whatever. Um, we've had things like that. Uh, but I feel like in this particular one, there is bigger, weird, like, things that were, I, I'm not expecting, like, a, you know, Sixth Sense level twist at the end where, I mean, because we're kind of, there's too many things telegraphing that at the beginning here. But I feel like if all this doesn't add up to something, I will be greatly disappointed. But I'm not as skeptical, I think, as you are about it right now. I'm still holding out hope that it all, that they're, they're It'll mean something. Yeah, that, that it will mean something more than just being a one-off kind of fun thing. And, you know, this episode ends, of course, with Sally kind of cradling low in the fetal position, saying that she's going to be his protector, which is so kind of weird. Um, the dynamic between them in particular is very strange. Uh, you know, why she's taken a liking to low of all people is a little bit strange to me. Yeah. And it doesn't seem right. I mean, she seems like a person who is very kind of cynical about the world and kind of doesn't really like anybody. So the fact that she's kind of taken a liking to Lowe seems significant in some way. You know, she really, she kind of seems to hate other junkies considering that she was a junkie herself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. Her relationship with everyone at the... uh... Sally's relationship with everyone at the hotel is very interesting, and I'm I'm eager to see why she kind of isolates herself the way she does, and I guess kills junkies, and also sews people into beds, and has a drill bit dildo monster that likes to come. I it, her, she's really perplexing, um, but also that she you know with this group of serial serial killers, she'll you know she brought in the business guy, and uh, said all right this so this will leave me let you leave me alone. Let give give me like a year of space from you guys, and they're like, "Yep, did you hear that?" 
I did hear that. Yeah. I was wondering what that. I mean, she's already dead, right? So it's not like they could come kill her. Yeah. So what exactly would they do to harass her? Right. You know. I don't know. It's, it leaves you with a lot of questions, and I mean, we're getting to that point in the season where, in the past, in past seasons, I, this is like the murky middle where things start to fall apart because it seems like they're shoving in too many storylines, and things are kind of tying together in the way we want them to. I feel like I will say we're not getting like. A C and D and E storyline like we have in the past where there's just too much going on in each episode where we can only dedicate you know a little amount of time. I feel like we're more they're more focused this season than they've been in the past. And I'm trying to be optimistic about that and feel like everything's going in surprising directions. I agree. I, I'm always optimistic. <laughs> I just hope it actually it's my optimism is met. Uh, but I <clears throat> ugh, it's hard with the track record of the show sometimes. Last thing before we kind of um, evaluate things here. At this point, John Lowe, how are you liking Wes Bentley as kind of our straight man? He like really kind of moving the story forward. I think he's pretty good. He does a good job. Um, I I do feel for him. It's I it's hard to gauge how much I care what happens to him. Um, I feel like either if he's already dead, well, does it really matter to me? Like not really. Um, if he ends up dying, well, of course, I think he's going to end up dying. That's what happens on these shows. Um, so it's hard to have a lot of investment in him uh, as a character, but I do think he's doing a good job as what the what the uh, role is written for. Uh, do you like him? What do you think? I think that he right now seems like a device to move the story forward. Mm, for the hotel. Because he, right, because he's so tied into so many different things. I do think that there's some hidden facts about him that will, that are you know essential to the whole plot of this whole thing and i much enjoy i do have to say personally so far i really like his storyline and like the march storyline and all these kind of weird ghostly things much more than i like the vampire storyline which a little bit seems like um i don't know blood porn or something you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and not to say that there aren't good scenes, like, and I don't, I, I enjoy some of those characters. Like, I, re- I really like Donovan so far. I think he's great. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you know, I don't have real positive feelings about Tristan at this point in time. Yeah. The Countess is so so. I like her as a fixture more than I like her as a character. I would say, um, my favorite characters, I would say right now, James March. Uh, Miss Evers are probably two of my favorites, and Liz Taylor. Lo- are, yeah, th- those, I agree. Those three are like my trifecta, I would say. Yeah, those are the ones that are more entertaining, more fun, and you know they're they're likable. Even if they're terrible th- people, they're likable. And I do like Sally too. I, I would say that Sally Sally's is a interesting. More interesting. Yeah, yeah, Sally and Donovan for me, and even and, Iris are kind of more like in the middle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then on my low end are Tristan and Alex. <laughs> I don't think Tristan's that bad. I think he's an annoying person, but I, you know, he's he's kind of entertaining because he's just a dumbass. <laughs> That's true. So if you had evaluating this episode, what are you gonna say? So uh, I was gonna give it like kind of a lower score because I'm just assuming it's gonna be one of these episodes that was fun and I enjoyed it. But as far as a, a American Horror Story uh, episode, I don't know if it's doing much to move the story along, with the exception of making Alex a uh, vampire and getting uh um what's his face john to you know start embracing his serial killer or whatever like who he really is um that being said it was so fun to see all these actors play these roles and 
and like kind of fantasize what it would be like uh, um, if they all had dinner together and what would they talk about and you know what would the conversation be and what how would they party oh well they they would kill people they talk about how they kill people but then also like john wayne gacy or uh, uh john carol lynch you know also like uh, i ran a business it's kind of funny um yeah so initially i was going to give it a three and a half but i think i'm gonna bump that up to 3.75 oh that's kind of funny because i'm going to split this in half in this way I did not like the Alex storyline. I think I probably made that pretty clear. Yeah. That one I would probably give a three and a half. But I really enjoyed the serial killer storyline with the John Lowe. And I think there's more hints there. I'm going to go ahead and give that a four. So I think I, too, that would average out to a 3.75. Yep. All right. Not, so we're not looking too at that. That would make it, what, seven, seven and, and, and a half? half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a better score than we gave last week. I think that there was some interesting stuff going on here, and there was certainly a lot of interesting characters. Now, does that mean Lily Rabe's gone? I think it does, probably. Which is a bummer, um, because she's been pretty awesome. She was great, but, I mean, I was thinking about excellent cameos. This is, this is tangential, but I was thinking about her character in uh, Coven, and remember how, like, spoiler alert if you haven't listened or watched uh, that season, but she dies, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and she gets trapped in that world and it just seems so unfair because she was not like a bad person at all she was like kind of a good hippie witch and then mm-hmm. she's the one who gets stuck in that world when they're taking the test to find out who the next supreme is mm-hmm. anyway I was just thinking about that the other day that, and she's just stuck there like I get that um, Cordelia was stuck in um, in uh, Naughty Pine Hell yeah but I, that was great but yeah, Missy Day funny. didn't really do anything wrong she just brought birds back to life and stuff I don't know anyway and Kyle and Kyle the other thing I was thinking was um, that's why she went to hell is because she brought Kyle back <laughs> from life. if if Jessica Lang was still around obviously I think she'd be playing Lady Gaga's role don't you think yeah and I understand why you couldn't have her play that role I mean I think it would have had to have been a different thing yeah it would be different um, a different story but yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's what it would have been, essentially. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, so, okay, so we did our scores. Yeah. I want to say there's been a lot of talk about the return of Jessica Lang and the possibility of her grandson from season one, Const, you know, her character Constance from season one and her grandson playing a part in the season. Right. There's been a lot of theories. Um, one, I, I feel like I've heard that maybe he's a Ten Commandments killer. There's been another that maybe he's one of the other blonde boys that we haven't met yet. Uh, do you get the feeling that we're going to see them this season? I mean, obviously the murder house is going to play a part. It would be, yeah, it would be interesting if that's the tie-in. Um, I just, if that does, I hope it's not a forced, you know, situation. Like, like, like Pepper's crossover, that kind of worked. And she kind of, it's weird because she got the happy ending, but obviously not a happy ending because we know ultimately what happens, but for that season. So, and, but that just felt like it was really well tied together and a great character storyline and great narrative writing. So uh, I, I, I hope that if they go with the, with Constance as the tie in, that it will be, um, just well-crafted and that fits in with the story that we're trying to tell this season and not just put in there because it's for the fan, fan boys and fan girls. Right. I don't know. Do you, are you thinking that's what it will likely be though? The uh, the grandson. I think I I would not be surprised if there's an appearance of it, but I do, am I do feel the exact same way as you that I'm worried that it would be forced because, you, you know, 
I feel like that's something that they could be subject to is like feeling too compelled to feed the, you know, to, to serve to the audience what they want to see. But if it's not a good fit, then save it, you know? Right. Um, I was also thinking about this, you know, so Jessica Lang always gets nominated for an Emmy or whatnot. Um, this season so far, I think our top actors are, um, well, Dennis O'Hare and uh, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson, for sure. And she's doing kind of like the Constance role. She's not a main character. Real. I mean, she will be, or she kind of is. But she, um, Sarah Paulson, or Sally, is uh, kind of, you know, on the peripheral for the most part. Right now. She's constantly there, but she's not, you know, we don't know her storyline. She's not driving the plot forward just yet. Um, she just, she is kind of a, she's a connective tissue a little bit. She, she is. She, and that's, she's involved in a lot of different like threads. Right. You know? And when we talk about Constance in season one, that's kind of how I felt. The story was about the Harmons, right? Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. um, just like it's about the vampires and, um, and what's happening there and the ghosts. But she's kind of not really tied into anyone's storyline just yet. That being said, she does feel a part of this story, you know? Uh, so, right. and that's how I felt, uh, like constant was in season Constance was in season one where she was part of the, all the stories, but she wasn't really, a like, it wasn't her story till the end. And I love yeah. that. I think that's, I, and I kind of hope that's how, uh, Sally ends up going. And I do feel like there's more compelling things about her character. We haven't, uh, yes, really opened up yet. Excited about that. Right. So a little preview for next week. I mean, some of the things we, that we saw, um, I think the police finally do raid the Hotel Cortez, which is something that kind of needed to happen in order for them to maintain any semblance of realism with all these people who keep dying and disappearing. Um, Alex is transformed into a vampire and seems to be having blood cravings around the measles kid. Ugh. We get a little, we get a little bit more of um, Mad Chen, Shelley from Twin Peaks. Yep. And uh, we kind of start to begin the Ramona and Donovan showdown, or insurgency, I'm going to say. Um, at the Hotel Cortez, where I guess it'll probably be them two against Countess and Tristan, I would suppose. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I think there should be good, good dynamic there. So a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Um, before we go, what are you dressing up as for Halloween? So we already went to two Halloween parties last week as um, Marty McFly and Doc Brown. That's Doc right. Brown, Steph is Marty McFly. Um, but this is a term I learned at work a few weeks ago. Uh, slash fiction? Which is obviously fan fiction in which two male characters get together in the end. So in this case, uh, we, we went as what I'm calling Marty McFly and Doc Brown slash fiction where Marty and Doc have a relationship at the end of the show. Like so. a sexual relationship? Well, a romance. I mean, come on. Yeah. you got to take me to dinner first. But... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> what are you going as? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I mean, I'm going to do one of two things. One is, so Sarah, my girlfriend, is going as... Um, as a deer, I don't know. She really wanted to be a deer. Whatever. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> um, I was talking to my buddy. I was like, I don't know what I want to be. Like, I don't want to spend a lot of money. He's like, why don't you go as, uh, you know, the, the Harry Potter character who has a Patronus that's a deer? I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant. Two reasons why that's brilliant. One, isn't that Harry? It's Harry, so it would be Harry Potter, which I could easily do. Like, totally do that. Uh, but number two is it would piss off Sarah so much knowing that I would go around and she would think she's a deer, but really you're just like a prop for my costume. Like I take all the power away from like her being a deer. I'm like, no, no, no. You're just, you're, you know, you're, you're part of my costume. You're Do you prop. remember the spell? Uh, oh, no, I have to look it up. 
I'll, I will remember it. Um, it's like it's like if I went as Cruella. Deville. Isn't it like it's like it's like if uh, Sarah was going as a Dalmatian puppy, and then I went as Cruella Deville. Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum. That's what, That's what it, ah, I knew it. Um, it's like you're you're like part of my costume. <laughs> anyway, so I might do that, which is so messed up, but it, and it's evil, but it's I, hilarious. Oh, I love. Oh, no, I love it. That's awesome. I would just go around <laughs> wherever she go- she was walking behind her, be like, "Expecto Patronum." <laughs> if she's gonna be a deer, yeah, I'm like, yes, it worked. I've been practicing <laughs> in, for in my owls. Awesome. Uh, the other thing I might well, do is I might go as Steph Curry, but with a chef's hat and go as Chef Curry. Oh, that's good too. And good I could do too. that easily too. I don't have to buy too much. See Jerry. We'll see. Well. <laughs> For all of you out there, uh, we hope that you guys have an awesome and safe Halloween. And if you're going as anything from American Horror Story, we totally want to hear about it. So please post that on the Facebook. Um, and of course, if you have comments or questions, post them on the Facebook as well, or catch us um, at our email address at thisamericanhorrorstory@gmail.com. And of course, you can always reach out to us personally. Chris will be at at Chris Husted. That's pretty much everything: Instagram, Twitter. Except for Snapchat, that's the Chris Houston. Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? At TJ That's where you can catch me. Uh, remember to go on iTunes, guys. Rate us, review us. We appreciate it so much. And um, until next week, post Halloween. I can't wait for next episode. Lots to talk about. Happy hauntings. Happy hauntings. Bye.